There are few things that make people successful. Taking a step forward to change their lives is one successful trait, but it takes some time to get there. How do you move forward to greet the success that awaits you? Welcome to Next Steps Forward with host Chris Meek. Each week, Chris brings on another guest who has successfully taken the next steps forward. Now, here is Chris Meek. Hello, I'm Chris Meek. Welcome to this week's edition of Next Steps Forward. As always, it's great to have you with us again. Our guest today is Dina Zuckerberg. Dina is the Director of Family Programs at MyFace, a nonprofit dedicated to changing the faces and transforming the lives of children and adults with facial differences. Dina has been described as the heartbeat of MyFace through sharing her story of growing up with a cleft lip, hearing loss, and no vision in her left eye, she has inspired upwards of 70,000 students to the MyFace Wonder Project. When speaking at schools, Dina tells her story and recounts personal experiences of being bullied and excluded. Now she turned those challenges into teachable moments. Dina Zuckerberg, welcome to Next Steps Forward. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. No, thanks for your time. I really appreciate it. So Dina, the MyFace website notes that every hour, a child is born in the United States with a craniofacial condition, which uniquely impacts both the body and spirit, and that 95% of them will undergo multiple surgeries and long-term medical care throughout their childhood and into their adult life. Were you one of those children years ago? You know, can you take us back to your birth and how does your story start? Yeah, so uh, I was born years ago with a, as you mentioned, a cleft lip, a hearing loss in both ears. So I hear nothing on my right and wear a hearing aid on my left and then a small left eye. I wear prosthetics to look like my right eye and have no vision in my left eye. Uh, I was uh, born, I think three weeks early. And so I weighed just under five pounds. I, uh, my parents did not know I would be born with a cleft lip and now today, they can tell from a sonogram whether they would be born with a facial difference. But then when I was born, they did not know. And so I had, uh, because I was born premature, I had my first surgery at nine months old to uh, repair my cleft lip. So for those that don't know, a cleft lip is a separation of the lip. Uh, and it can be uh, unilateral on one side or it can be bilateral on both sides. So mine was a unilateral. And, uh, and then I had, uh, when I was probably around nine or 10, uh, more surgeries. So a total, I've had about six surgeries growing up uh, into my adult years. I also had years of braces and orthodontics and speech therapy when I was a child to learn to speak clear, so I had that for years. And so that is sort of my backstory. And just for those who don't know, a cleft lip and or palate is the most common craniofacial difference, so. And how did your craniofacial condition affect your education? Did the latest start of the school year for you? So I was mainstreamed in school right from the start. I did have um, special services. So in other words, when they take me out of class and I would spend some one-on-one -on -one time, uh, sort of, they would do sort of different activities with me, I guess, to help me. And because I had a hearing loss, so I would have to 
sit uh, up closer in the classroom to make sure that I heard what the teacher was saying. Uh, so there was definitely special accommodations I had, but I just want to be very clear that just because you have a facial difference, it doesn't in impact how smart you are or what you're capable of doing. Uh, for me, that was never my challenges, but I did have a hearing loss. So I needed to make sure I could hear the teachers. I did have limited vision and one, you know, and, and stuff like that. So I had to make sure that those things were accommodated. So, and they were. And what were your years in elementary and secondary school like in terms of how teachers and other students treated you and related to you? Yes. Yeah, so I think like we just touched on, I think I had special accommodations. I think that uh, I was teased and excluded growing up. So kids would uh, say mean things sometimes, or they would, there's more also excluding me. So I would sit alone in the lunchroom sometimes and on the school bus. And there were definitely moments, I think, that that I think affected me. I, I remember you know, being picked last in gym for team sports. I think the challenge is that kids would typically do these things when the adults weren't around. And so that is so that is the greatest challenge. And so I think the teachers and the administration in some ways did the best they could based on what they saw. And I was the kind of kid that didn't necessarily complain or say things as much as I probably should have. So I think uh, that said, I did, I always had, you know, one or two friends. I mean, I had one friend who um, had a difference like I did. I mean, but he had uh, a cerebral palsy. So he and I became like best friends and we played together all the time. And so I think I always had somebody uh, who was a friend to me, but it was, I think, difficult that I had to deal with that all the time when I was, especially in the elementary middle school years, it, it got much better in high school. Yeah, you just mentioned the bullying and the being excluded. What were the most difficult times for you? Was it the surgeries, the bullying or being excluded? I would say both, but in some ways it is the bullying and excluded because I feel like that stays with you longer. I mean, I still think about those moments today and I, had gone to a summer camp, away to summer camp one summer, and there was this girl, Amy, who was the bully in, in a lot of ways and made my summer extremely difficult. And again, they were doing these things when the kids weren't around. I mean, when the camp, uh, camp counselors weren't around or the adults weren't around. So it was really challenging and it was hard. I mean, they did things like put powder in my clothes and, and wrote on me in my sleep, did all kinds of crazy things. And so I think that was in some ways really difficult. And I was actually parents weekend given the opportunity to stay or go home. And I decided to stay and switch to an older bunk. Because I think in some ways I wanted it to be okay. And I wanted it to be different. So, so I think that stayed with me much more than the surgeries did. Yes, the surgeries were hard and the recovery is hard and I was not an easy patient, but somehow that in some ways I think was easier for me. Is anybody ever an easy patient? 
No. No. <laughs> no. And I certainly was not. And my, my mother can probably attest to that too. But well, and, and clearly, if you still remember Amy's name, um, it must have been awful. And yeah. so, Amy, if you're listening, I've got one thing to say to you. Karma's a bitch. And if you haven't gotten yours, you will. <laughs> so I'm just putting that out there. Uh, so I got your back, Dina and Amy. Look out. We know where you are. I once thought about, right, so I found Amy one time. So I decided to see if I can find her. So I did. But, and I thought I'd write to her, but I never did. But somehow when I found her, I didn't need to. But when I found out who she was and where she was. but Good yeah. for you. Good for you. See that, Amy? We're still, we're always watching. <laughs> so Dina, part of your life journey included your involvement in a play titled Let's Face the Music, in which you performed on stage for the first time. What was that experience all about that compelled you to take such a big step? So yeah, so when I was in my early 20s, I joined a group uh, of teens and adults, all with craniofacial differences like I had. And when I joined at the time, they were in the process of putting together a show called Best Face of Music, telling the story of our lives growing up with facial differences, using skits and uh, song and even dance, and also what we called mirror logs. So looking in the mirror, what do you see? We performed it at a theater called the One Dream Theater, which was the perfect name. And we did, I believe, three performances that weekend, three or four performances. And after each performance, we had a talk back. And I know for me, it was the first time getting on, up on stage and actually, honestly, really talking about what it was like to grow up with a facial difference. I was the child that didn't talk about it, didn't really want to talk about it, wanted to fit in. And so this was an opportunity to do this. And I, I, I must say, I even joining the group, I didn't want to join the group. I, I, this young woman, um, Elizabeth, really um, reached out to me and kept saying, you need to come, you need to come. And it really, joining the group and then doing this performance really changed my life. And there's even one scene where it's the supermarket scene and I'm playing with this girl and I have the facial difference. She did not. And the mother comes over and says, you can't play with her. She could be contagious. And then it's this sort of parody around that. And I remember hearing afterwards from my mom that something similar had happened to me when I was uh, a young child. So it really, I think, which I had no idea, I'd never heard that before. So it really, I think, opened up and started me to opening up just a little bit more in my life about my difference. And because and, I really, again, I never talked about it growing up. And back to the bullying, how did that bullying that you experienced affect you as a child and how did it shape you as to who you are today? Yes, it's a great question. I think that it, it did really affect me growing up more than I think I real, that I realized then, but I think it has truly shaped me into who I am today in terms of being more empathic, compassionate and kind and also has propelled me into doing the work that I do today. And I think, yes, that was hard and I don't wish that on anybody, but I also believe that it is 
I wouldn't be doing the work that I do today if not for that experience. And so I don't necessarily, I don't fully regret that that happened to me because I think it had shaped, I'm, I think, a, a resilience. I mean, there's so much of who I am today. And even with the challenges that I have dealt with, not, you know, limited vision and hearing loss, I mean, I can ski double black mountains, I can drive, I can ride a bicycle, I can play the piano. It's never stopped me from doing anything that I ever wanted to do in my life. So, yes, so I think it, it has definitely shaped who I am today. Single black mountain scare the hell out of me, let alone a double. So hats off yeah. to you. And I, I might say I did it only once or twice, and then I didn't really need to do that again. So, But you did it. But I did it, and I, knew, I, I had a ski instructor that took me on on one and to show me that I could do it. And then that's I, awesome. I, knew I, I love that. And I need to do it again. <laughs> yeah. What's the next thing on the list to do? You've mm -hmm. done double blacks. Now, what do you want to do? It's a great question. I I don't know. Um, I've been actually thinking about since we've been in the pandemic what what I would want to do coming out of the pandemic. It certainly makes me think about. I, I think I need to quote unquote get experience out experience the now. world. Exactly. exactly. Keep us exactly. posted. I will. There are a number of craniofacial conditions and anomalies. In fact, the MyFace website lists over two dozen. Would you share some of those conditions and anomalies and how they're manifested? Yes. Yeah, so, for example, there's one called Treacher Collins syndrome. So, for those who may have read the book Wonder, seen the movie, that is what Augie, the main character, it's a young adult novel, and that's what Augie and the book in the movie was born with. And that is manifested by, um, so slanted eyes, typically underdeveloped ears. And so and usually that they don't have a hearing loss. So because the ears are not fully developed, they'll wear uh, what's called a bone anchored hearing aid. So it's almost like a headband and it, it connects to the bones in the, um, on the sides of the faces to allow them to hear. Also a small jaw typically. And so they may, when they're born, some may have breathing issues. And so they may need to have a trach put into their neck to help them breathe. Uh, some may also need uh, a feeding tube to help feed when they're, especially when they're young, because the airway basically is too small. So they can't necessarily breathe on their own. And in some cases, the jaw and the mouth is too small to eat solid food. So they may need to get the nutrition another way as well. So that's just one example. Another one is apert syndrome. So there's some conditions that will also affect not just the face, but can also affect the fingers and the toes. In this case, it the fingers and the toes are webbed. Uh, and so, and they may only have four fingers. And so, uh, that is another condition that affects not just the face. So, and then, like I said, cleft lip and palate would be the most common. So for cleft lip and palate is one in 700 are born with that. And then for Treacher Collins, for example, it's one in 50,000 uh, would be born with this condition. And with any of these conditions, it can be mild or it can be more severe. So it also can be arranged and many can have just a couple of surgeries and then others can have many, many surgeries going up. 
The MyFace website tells us that in addition to craniofacial conditions, the faces of another 100,000 individuals are disfigured to the, through accident or disease each year. Are accidents leading cause of facial differential? Uh, so I, I think, yes. So accidents can, I don't know if it's the leading cause, but yes, many. So for example, I know somebody who was in a car accident and uh, had to have her face reconstructed. So yes, there's, I would say lots of people who have accidents and also um, disease. So they can have cancer of the jaw and need uh, reconstruction of the jaw and the face. So it definitely affects many people that way as well. Earlier in the program, you mentioned that in today, if somebody has a sonogram, you can see if the child has a cleft lip. What sort of medical advancements, if any, have been made in addressing facial differences in recent years? So I would say that is one of them. So they can now um, tell in a sonogram, even before the mother has the child, that their child may be born with a facial difference. Not all necessarily will be detected, but you can tell a lot more, especially with cleft uh, lips. So they can see that. And so they can start preparing the parents even before the child is born to what they'll need. So they may need special feeding bottles. They may need other services and also just to mentally prepare them to um, that they're gonna have a child with a difference. And then also, for example, with the uh, cleft lip and palate, they can now, they have something called an, an nasal alveolar molding. I think that's how it's called. And so they basically put something on the lip is taped and then a, a, some sort of apparatus that helps bring the lip together so that they will need less surgery. So when they repair the cleft, the cleft is much closer together at that point. And so this is huge because when I was born, nothing like that really existed. So I can see a scar much more on my lip than you can on the children today. I mean, you can barely see the scar. So and, and with many of these conditions, there's so, there so many more advances today. So it's a much better process. And in the number of surgeries, they don't need to do as many surgeries in some cases as they used to. So it's definitely, there's definitely been many more medical advances today. We all know that medical costs keep going up and up and up. You know, unfortunately, the price of gasoline too. Do insurance companies tend to cover the treatment of facial differences as essential care? So no, uh, they usually, not usually, but sometimes they'll say it's not, it's cosmetic and it's not essential. And so that is a big issue. And I remember even having surgery years ago, and I think it was maybe jaw surgery or the implant where the day before my doctor was still fighting the insurance to say that it's not cosmetic, that it was reconstructive and that it was needed. So there actually is an act called the Ensuring Lasting Smiles Act that is just past the house of the house on April 4th. And now, and basically the Ensuring Lasting Smiles Act requires that all group and individual health plans cover medically necessary services uh, resulting from a congenital or birth defect. So like I said, it passed the house. It is just, I just had an, we just had an advocacy day uh, to get it uh, in front of the senators to get them on board. And it will hopefully go to the Senate and then get signed 
uh, into law because it is essential. It's something that needs to happen because I hear too many stories of parents spending hours and hours and months and months fighting insurance claims to, to get what they need and the services they need. And, and sometimes it gets delayed a lot because they can't get what they need, especially dental care. And so, yes, it's, it's essential. My face has been around a long time. And by that, I mean more than 70 years. Could you please share the My Face story with our audience? You know, how and when was My Face founded? And how's it evolved organizationally? Yeah, so My Face was founded now in 1951 to help men and women coming back from the war that had been injured in the face. So that's how it started. It was actually, it had the name of the Society for the Facially Disfigured. And then, and then we evolved into really helping children that were born with craniofacial differences, as well as adults who uh, may have been affected through disease or accident. Uh, we, so we evolved from becoming the Society for the Facially Disfigured to the National Foundation for Facial Reconstruction, really focusing on that, uh, helping children born with or who acquired a difference. And then a few years ago, we rebranded and became MyFace and also really expanded the services that we offer. So we have many more programmatic services that we now offer, like support groups and newborn care kits and, and many other services and apartments near the hospital so that if a child's coming in for surgery, they can have a place to stay and, and more. So, Next steps forward is about personal empowerment a commitment to our own well-being and the motivation to achieve more than we thought possible of ourselves. You've had to have almost superhuman resilience to achieve the personal empowerment that you have. What gave you that inner strength? Was it a particular moment or experience? Was it a person or a role model? Did faith come into play? It's a great question. I think it's a combination of things for me. I think my parents always led me to believe that I could do anything I ever wanted to do. And so I, I never saw my differences as challenges. I mean, I, my dad always tells the story of when I was learning to ski and I had a ski instructor and I just would climb up the bunny hill and ski down and I could just do it for hours. My dad said, like, I, I think I just had that perseverance and that resilience. And I think so I think my parents and my family really supported that. Uh, and I think that just being involved in the interfaces, the group all those years ago and doing the show really empowered me. And this woman, Jody Morrow, who was our mentor, and she did not have a difference, but she really sort of, she became very involved and mentored us and really also helped us to believe that especially me, that I could do anything, that I had a voice, that I could share my story. And so I think that was the beginning. So I think it's a combination of things for me. And also just even doing the work that I'm doing now has really empowered and, and led me to believe that I, that how important it is to share my story, so. You mentioned sharing your story a few times there. You have a very strong belief in the power of the shared story. As you talk to children with facial differences, you talk about the fact that they're not alone and that they're not the only one going through what they're experiencing. How comforting or reassuring is the power of the shared story to those children? 
very, I think, comforting to know that they are not the only one. And I, I must say, even for me, growing up, I, I always believed that I was the only one. I didn't necessarily know that there was a whole community out there. And I think that is so true for many of our kids and as well as our parents too. I mean, they when they have a child with a facial difference and, and are preparing to know that their child may have many surgeries and they're worried about how their kids are going to do in school and all of that. And so I have a, for example, parent support group where I have parents all along the journey because it is a journey. And so I have a mother who has a three-year-old who says, I don't know how I'm going to get through tomorrow because that child's spending more time in the hospital than out of the hospital at this point. And then a mother who has a six-year-old with the same condition and a 10-year-old, and they're saying, it's going to be okay. You're going to get through this. Just take it one day at a time, breathe, all these things. So they, they're supporting each other. Um, and, and then I have a mother with a 20-year-old who's saying, your son's going to get through this and he's going to be successful in whatever that means for that child. And so I think that power of the shared story is so, is so true. And I've seen it over and over again. So to that point, there are several shared stories that are especially compelling to you. One in particular is Annabelle's story. I know the people in our audience would love to hear that. Would you share it, please? Yes. So Annabelle was born with something called Nagel syndrome, which is similar in some ways to Treacher Collins, which I talked about earlier. So it affects her, her breathing, her hearing, her speech, and how she eats. Uh, she is now uh, a junior in high school, but when she was, and she had many, many surgeries growing up. And when she was in the fifth grade, though, she was being picked on by a boy who was calling her mean names. And she uh, actually was playing Connect Four with him one day. And he said, and she, she was winning, she's really good, and he was losing, and he said to her, you know, the only reason we let you win is because you look like a freak. And I would say she, she did the right thing. She went and told her teacher and her parents what was going on. And the next day, she was called into the school counsel's office and told she could pick this boy's punishment. So she could have his recess taken away for a week. She could have him stay home from, uh, uh, stay after school and do extra schoolwork or stay home from school for a few days and think about what he did. And I think what she did is pretty amazing. She said, I don't need him to do that. All I want him to do is stand up in front of the school, in front of my classmates and say, he's sorry for what he did to me. Because I want him to feel what I feel like when he says those mean things in front of everyone. And that's really all she asked. And he did that. And she was actually recognized in her community for, by the mayor's office for the story got out for standing up for herself and for doing the right thing. And this is actually a story that I share. We haven't talked about it yet, but when I, when I go into school speaking to students, I share this story because I think I also want the kids to know that they can stand up for themselves if they need to. And we'll get into that in the second half of the show. We've been speaking with Dina Zuckerberg. And we'll be right back after a short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The White House doctor makes house calls. 
Listen every week for House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. Dr. Connie has served as the White House physician under three U.S. presidents. Now she joins the Voice America Empowerment Channel to help you enrich yourself physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Our guests will include professionals from a variety of fields who will bring you tips that you can apply to your own life. Listen for House Calls with Dr. Connie every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency Podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. If you're struggling to understand your self-worth or deal with mental health challenges, you will want to tune into Your Life Matters Today with Dr. Cliff Robertson. Dr. Cliff and his guests will help you understand and work toward what you need to build your best life. Your Life Matters Today. your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Next Steps Forward. To reach Chris Meek or his guest on the show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. 9141 or send an email to chris at nextstepsforward.com. Now, back to this week's show. We are back. I'm Chris Meek, host of Next Steps Forward. And my guest today is Dina Zuckerberg. Dina is the director of family programs at MyFace, a nonprofit dedicated to changing the faces and transforming the lives of children and adults with facial differences. Dina was born with a cleft lip, hearing loss, and no vision in her left eye. Dina, before the break, we were talking about the power of the shared story. You received letters and messages from other children all over the place. Would you share a few of them, please? Yes. So I have one that says, thank you so much for your informative presentation and for sharing your experience with us and teaching us about craniofacial differences. Our class has signed the pledge to choose kind. We will work toward being upstanders against bullying. I love what you are doing uh, at my face and how you are helping people with facial differences. And Bo is a fifth grader at a school. And then I have another one where uh, Jacob says, the my face program is a really inspiring presentation. I know if anyone has a facial difference and they are getting bullied, I will make sure to be an upstander, your friend Jacob. So I have so many letters. I have hundreds of letters from kids talking about how the program has impacted them and how they're going to choose kind and be upstanders and and talking about how they're going to sit with somebody in, in the lunchroom if they see someone sitting alone. And so I feel like there's hope for the next generation uh, of kids to really think about how they, what how their actions can impact somebody else, which is one of the things we talk about in the presentation about being an upstander and and how do you choose how do you respectfully ask somebody about their difference and and 
think about what your actions are. So I think it's really important. So my listeners and viewers know that I'm a huge country music fan. And there's a song that has a phrase, do what you love, but call it work. Love How that. does it make you feel to have a letter like that and knowing that you are so positively affecting and impacting the lives of children who have experienced what you have and, and you're making their world a better place? What's that feel like inside? It feels great. I mean, if I, I, I sometimes say if I could do these presentations all the time, I would because seeing the impact, I mean, I have a story uh, a few years ago, I had done a presentation in a school and I shared about my hearing aids that I have a hearing aid in my left ear and I showed it to the kids and this kid um, got all excited and raised his hand and showed that he had double hearing aids and he'd never met anybody who had a hearing aid like he did. And he was so excited. And it was right around the time that RJ Palacio, who wrote Wonder, had come out with a picture book called Where Are Wonders? And I had it with me. And he asked if he could read it to the kids. And I have this photo of him being surrounded by the kids in his class as he's reading the book. And it was such an, and he was beaming. He was so excited. So it was a really a special moment. And then I have another moment where I was doing a presentation and talking about how I wish I had more upstanders in my life growing up because that really would have made a difference for me. And this boy raised his hand and he tearfully shared that just the week before he had witnessed another kid picking on a child and how he didn't stand up for that child and how he would going forward be that person who stood up and it was such an amazing moment and he really he was teary-eyed about this and so those are the moments that I love because when and also when they share and how they relate they say oh I have a friend who has a, a, a difference or and they bring it to their own life even sharing oh I had a surgery on my foot or I had a surgery on my hand or I broke my arm and I had to be in a cast when they related to their own life. And so it's no longer this thing that's out there, but it's something that, oh, now they understand it and it's no big deal anymore. So, because I do believe, especially with young kids, that when we expose them to differences and there's all kinds of differences, and we all have differences, then it's no big deal to them. It's just, oh, okay, now I understand it. Because I think a lot of it comes from fear of of not knowing and understanding, so. You know, you've just talked about being a bully, about being compassionate. You talk about, you know, realizing differences. What causes a child to be a bully? You know, why do children become bullies instead of becoming kind and compassionate? I think, I think we, it's funny, I've said this. I think we do ourselves a disservice in focusing on the victim of the bullying and not as much on the bully, because I do believe that there's a reason why the person who is bullying somebody else or why they feel a need to do that. And usually sometimes it's insecurities in their own life or stuff they're dealing with, or I hate to say it, but sometimes they're role models or what they see at home. And so I think we need to focus on the bullying and try to understand why they do that because, and I think to talk to them about it and to understand why they feel a need to do that um, to somebody else. And so we, that we focus on both, not just the victim, but that we focus on the bullying as well. Bully. 
And with the pandemic going on the last few years, we hear more and more about cyberbullying these days. Is bullying worse today than it was when you were growing up, or is it just simply taking on a different form? I think in some ways it's worse because when I was growing up, you didn't have any online, we didn't have computers even then. So I would go to school and yes, it would be hard sometimes in school, but I had, when I came home, I could put that all away. Uh, and now with social media and everything it, and texting, it can be 24 seven for some kids. And I think I don't, I would not want to be a child today in school, I think, for growing up, because I think it's extremely, I think it's harder in so many ways than it was for me, because I could compartmentalize. So that happened there, but I came home and I had a very supportive environment. And now with online cyber bullying, it's, it's a totally different ballpark. I also will say that I've been hearing, interestingly enough, that now that kids have come back to school this year, that, that bullying, and I've read this too, that bullying has been on the rise again, because in some ways they don't know how to, they, they, they don't know how to socialize as well as they did before the pandemic, because they spent so much time at home. And so I had teachers and, and administrators, school administrators tell me that, that they see it on the rise again. And so and I think that's why programs like the Wonder Project that we do is so important right now. Well, that's a perfect segue. It's like you're reading my notes. What is the Wonder Project? How did it get, get its name? And how did it get started? Yeah, so the Wonder Project is a school-based program uh, that kicks off with an assembly uh, where we go into the school talking about differences, choosing kind, being an upstander, and giving them a kindness challenge and sharing my story. I also go in with somebody else and they may share their stories. We share the story of Annabelle. Uh, we, so it, the Wonder Project got its name because about 10 years ago, RJ Palacio, the author, wrote a book called Wonder, uh, which is a young adult novel about a, a boy who is Names who's homeschooled, who's born with something called Treacher Collins syndrome, and then he's mainstreamed in the fifth grade. And it looks at what that year is like. So there's Julian, who's the bully, there's the friend, there's uh, the people who his, and then his, his family. So you introduced to his dad, his mother, and his sister, and it's told from different perspectives. And that, so I read the book. 10 years ago when it came out, a parent had given it to me and said, you need to read this. And we at My Face decided that we should really um, do a curriculum to go with the book. And then I started going into school and speaking to students. And since starting that, we have, I've done close to 200 schools, have reached 70,000 students. And it's really changed my life and the lives of so many of the kids um, who in the craniofacial community and outside of the craniofacial community. But I share that, uh, so in the first page of the book, Augie, who's the main character, talks about wishing he had a magic lamp so that um, it could be better for him. And I remember on my birthday around his age, maybe a little younger, when I was blowing out the candles on my birthday, wishing that I could look like the other kids so it would be a little easier. So that book really changed and it really created a choose kind movement among kids and even adults. So 
it's, it's an amazing book and it's allowed for me and others to be able to share our story. It gave me the platform and it really propelled me to do the work that I'm doing now. And how do most kids respond to the Wonder Project presentation? And I'm just curious if there's a different response based on how old the children are when they see it. I think it, it depends. So with the younger ones, I think they, it's okay to two. Or it's, it, we do a much simplified presentation and they're getting the simple messages of being kind to somebody and being, even being an upstander. They can, if we, the way we explain it, so we always do a Q&A with the students afterwards and they, they'll raise their hands and they'll say, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll help my mom clean up. I'll sit next to somebody who's sitting alone. They get the very basic core messages of choosing kind. And I think the older ones, are, um, they're really thoughtful in how they're thinking about this and, and how, how they can help others. And and trying to really understand and a lot of, so this book wonder is really geared for I would say even third but really for fourth and fifth and sixth grade is when they really start reading the book and thinking about these things and honestly the middle school years are the hardest and I think that's where we in some ways focus on it but I also like doing it with the younger ones because that's when they uh, the the almost like sponges, they just take it all in and they don't have the, yet the true us versus them. So they can sort of see differences and, and then it's just, oh, okay, they have a difference. So they're sort of, they haven't evolved yet into looking at that's versus, us versus them, so. And is the Wonder Project's relationship or involvement with a school a one-off event or do you create a long-term connection and curriculum or does it depend on the school? It uh, depends on the school, but what's been great is that we have many schools that have asked us to come back year after year so and present the same program. So uh, that's been great. We also, and I neglected to say, we also, so not only do we do the assembly, but we give a teacher coordinator packet and materials for them to continue to do the work with them afterwards, after the assembly. Uh, so it's morning announcements, it's activities, kindness bingo, it's uh, having them actually do a kindness challenge. So and think about big and small ways that they can be kind to others and then writing that down. And so hopefully they continue to think about it, not just the assembly, but to do the work afterwards as well. And during those virtual assemblies, you're often asked some very thoughtful and perceptive questions about living with a facial difference. What are some of those questions? And again, do the questions tend to be different based on how old the child is or are they pretty much the same? Definitely the older ones and those that have read Wonder, I think have the more thoughtful questions. The younger ones, again, are just more willing, just wanting to share uh, how they're gonna be kind. But we've had, I've had questions, uh, how, how can I be an upstander and not worry that if I stand up for somebody else that, that I'll then get picked on? I've had questions like, have you ever been an upstander to somebody? I've had questions about the number of surgeries I had. Is there a surgery that was the hardest for you? Uh, I've had the question of, did you ever stand up to a bully? And, and 
what that was like and did you ever find as I share the story of how I was bullied and that there was a bully did you ever try to reach out to that person who bullied you I mean there's so many incredible questions and of course if they read wonder they'll ask did you have a Jew, uh, somebody who stood up for you like summer in the book uh, did you what was the hardest you know is there a moment that was the hardest for you when you were in school did it get better when you were in high school and what was that like and so many different questions uh, and what I started to do this past year is to write them all down because one of my dreams and hopes is to um put them into a, either a book or to do a column where you share the questions and give the answers. So we'll see which one of the things I'm thinking about. Well, let's go one step further. I asked this when we spoke last week. We have a mutual friend and former guest, Ruth Rathblot, who did a TED Talk. I think you'd be great. I'm going to put you in the spot here. What do you think? I'm thinking about it. Since you planted that in my head last week, I've been thinking more and more about it. So... If that's you can it. do double black diamond skiing, TED Talk is a <laughs> walk in the park for you. Come on. That's an easy one. Probably. probably. Totally. Let I'll me know if we know. can help. Let yes, me know if you can help. You. All right. So the sheer number of children who experience a life-changing facial difference each year, either through birth or an accident, was very surprising to me. Have you been able to get a sense as you work with kids in schools, what percentage of them know someone with a facial difference, You know, perhaps as a classmate? So I don't know the answer exactly, but what I do love is that every once in a while, I, I've had a moment where I had a teacher come up to me and said that I, that they had a child born with a craniofacial difference and they didn't even know an organization like MyFace existed. I've had children share with me about wearing hearing aids or uh, having a friend born with a class or even them being born with some difference. And uh, so what I love about the platform and the assembly is that it gives them an opportunity to share something about themselves or about, and yes, I've, I've talked, spoken in schools where there is somebody who had a craniofacial difference in that group, but I couldn't tell you what percentage or how many necessarily, but yes, it, it's definitely happened when I found into schools, which is kind of fun and exciting to, again, the power in the share story is, oh, there's somebody who had a difference like me or, yeah. How can a parent or educator arrange a Wonder Project presentation in their local school? So they can go to our website, uh, myface.org at uh, backslash wonder. So myface.org backslash wonder. And we have all the information on there about the program. And then they can register to either um, say that they're interested, they want to do the program, or they want to learn more. So they can definitely go there. And of course, they can always email me at dina at myface.org if they want to learn more as well. And I can share more information. We have a one pager uh, that we can share that they can bring to the school. So Thank you. It seems like the bullies do get a lot of attention, as you mentioned before. I imagine your work with my face, that you do have some touching stories in which children do show kindness, respect, and compassion to children with facial differences. You're sharing stories of resilience earlier. Would you share a story too about children who were either moved to action by the Wonder Project or did so on their own? Yes. So we just had a school recently where uh, 
since the second time we spoke at the school where they uh, went home and would do chores or acts of kindness and then they the parents would give them money for each thing they did and then they brought it back to the school and donated the money to my face um, which uh, was uh, close to six hundred dollars so that was pretty incredible I think that I get letters from schools and kids sharing that they did, they went to a homeless shelter or they um, they talk about sitting with someone on a buddy, a buddy bench during recess or sitting with someone in the lunchroom. I, there's so many acts of kindness that they do and that they come up with. And I, I just love hearing those stories and what they're doing and knowing that, because I, I, I think in some ways you're always going to have people who bully and that be bullied, but if you can take kids that are bystanders and witness these things and turn them into upstanders, I think that is, that is the key to some of this. Um, believe me, I'd love to be in a world where that didn't, there wasn't any bullying of any kind, but I'm not sure that we will eradicate that completely, but I think if you can convince kids to stand up for somebody else that can really go a long way because that I think is also what I remember when someone does that and that is I think that's important so my face the wonder project does a lot of great work but it costs money to do this work you have some fundraising events coming up what are they and how can people in our audience do their part to show their support Yes, so we actually have an event coming up on Sunday, September 18th. It's, it's called Races for Faces. It is in New York City. And we have a 5K walk, but it's also carnival games and face painting and a band and snacks and all kinds of activities, fun. It's uh, all morning and on Sunday, September 18th. And people can go to racesforfaces.org. They can sign up. They can um, fundraise for my face. And what's nice is that people can just give small donations. And it, so there's no fee to participate. It's a great event in terms of meeting people within the craniofacial community. We get over 600 people to attend. And so, and, and so that is one of our next big event coming up in on in the fall and there's a you can always go to myface.org and donate there uh, so we couldn't do the work we do the programming that we do without the support of individuals so thank you that's racesforfaces.org and myface.org. Yeah. I just want to get those plugs out there for this you is again. Racesforfaces.org. If they also go to myface.org, they'll, they'll find the links to uh, Races for Faces as well. But The pandemic affected everyone, but you've had conversations with parents of children with facial differences about the impact it's had on those youngsters who had to wear masks for several years. How did the pandemic affect them? Yeah, so when the pandemic hit and we started wearing masks, I think it affected in a couple of different ways. One is if you, I know for me, because I had a hearing loss and everybody wearing a mask, I couldn't hear 
I, uh, what people were saying because I didn't realize, interestingly enough, until the pandemic hit, we started wearing masks, how much I lip read. And I think that was is true for many of the kids that we uh, work with or help. And the other piece is wearing the mask, all of a sudden you're on an even playing field with everybody. So no one necessarily knows that you have a facial difference uh, in a way that they did before wearing the mask. And so that was, I think, empowering for some kids that all of a sudden everybody's wearing a mask. So everybody's on an even playing field. I think the, um, the challenge has been is now we're removing the mask and I've had parents share that they uh, were worried about how their child would be received in school, especially if they're moving to middle school. So there's been challenges also with removing the mask and often people seeing the difference. Dina Zuckerberg, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show today. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for this opportunity, it's been fun. And again, that's myface.org. And thank you to our audience for tuning into this week's episode of Next Steps Forward. I'm Chris Meek. For more details about upcoming shows and guests, please follow me on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Chris Meek Public Figure and on Twitter at Chris Meek underscore USA. We'll be back next Tuesday, same time, same place, with another leader from the world of business, politics, public policy, sports, or entertainment. Until then, stay safe and keep taking your next steps forward. Thanks for tuning in to Next Steps Forward. Be sure to join Chris Meek for another great show next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, make things happen in your life. Thanks again for listening to